Today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to all of you. It's great to see all of you and to worship together. Um, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we jump into God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, you are a good, good Father. We thank you for the goodness that you have shown us from the very first days of our lives. We confess, Lord, that we are often unaware of or unthankful ungrateful for the ways in which you have fathered us, for the ways in which you have protected us, provided for us, given us what we need. So we take a moment this, this afternoon to thank you, even as we thank you for our earthly fathers. We thank you for adopting us into your household through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for us and rose again the one who we want to know better and understand more clearly, the one in whom we, we want to place all of our hope. And so we ask that you'd reveal to us this afternoon, Jesus, reveal to us his, his goodness, his authority, his power. Reveal him to us so that we would believe in him and love him and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I wonder how many of us here today would say that we are rule keepers. I wonder if you would call yourself a rule keeper. Rule keepers, are there, we're the folks who try to understand what's expected of us, and then we work hard to live up to those expectations. We generally try to remember the rules, whether they are rules that have been set by our parents, or rules that have been set by employers, or some other kind of authority figure, and then we try to abide by those rules. We are rule keepers, some of us. And when we succeed in obeying the rules, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel a little self-satisfied. And when we fail, we feel awful. We hate that feeling of failing to keep the rules. And another thing we hate is all those reckless rule breakers we see around us. We hate to see other people ignoring the rules or flouting the rules that we think are important. We, we judge all those reckless rule breakers. Well, the scene that we're going to look at today has something to say to us, to rule keepers, if you're one of them. It also speaks to rule breakers, too. So if, you're, if that's you, please listen in. There's a word here for you, too. But for all you law-abiding citizens, all of you rule-keeping folks, here's the big message of this scene for you. Jesus wants to replace our relentless rule-keeping with real rest. 
Jesus wants to replace our relentless, tireless rule-keeping with real rest. I'm going to state that a little bit differently. Jesus offers us something that's way, way better than the self-satisfaction and the exhaustion that comes from trying to be enough, from trying to be good enough, to do good enough. Because being a rule keeper can lead us to a sense of self-satisfaction at times, but it's also exhausting, isn't it? It's tiring to always try to prove that you're good enough, that you're obedient enough, that you're producing enough, that you're keeping the rules well enough. So let me set the scene that we're going to look at today that Matt just read for us. It was a Saturday, the Sabbath day, a day of rest, and Jesus was walking uh, through a field with his disciples, and some of those disciples were hungry, and so they started plucking uh, pieces of grain to eat. And and some people who saw that took issue with it, and they, they called them out for it. And Jesus responded in a way that's remarkable. And what he said, what he said should come as relief to us who are rule keepers. And what he said is also a relief to those of us who are rule breakers too. And so I want us to see three things, three things we need to see here to help us understand Jesus' message. And those three things are as follows. We're going to see the goodness of God. We're going to see the authority of Jesus. And we're going to see the real meaning of Sabbath rest. The first thing we need to see here is the goodness of God. Look, look at what the Pharisees said to Jesus when they saw his disciples plucking grain. Seems innocent enough, right? They said in verse 24, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They're breaking the law. And first of all, we got to notice that the problem here was not that they were stealing grain. No, God allowed people to take grain from someone else's field if they were hungry. In fact, God stated as much in his law. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 23. It says, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish. It's not stealing, but you shall not put any in your bag. In other words, you can eat those grapes as you walk through the field. That's fine, through the vineyard. Just don't stock up on those and bring them home. Don't steal more than you need. Don't ransack the vineyard. But just take what you want in the moment. It's okay. He says, if you go into your neighbor's uh, standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Don't harvest all of his stuff, but you can take some and eat it. And and through that, that very practical law, we already see something of the goodness of God there, the kindness of God. You see, God's law is never just arbitrary. It's never meant to be harsh. God's law is always aimed at providing something that we need and protecting us from something that's harmful to us. So in this case, this law was aimed at providing for anyone that's hungry. You're hungry, you're walking through a field, feel free. Your conscience shouldn't bother you. Take some grain, take some grapes, eat them. But you see, the law was also aimed at protecting the property and the rights of the the landowner, the the vineyard owner, the, the farmer, Protects their interests too. So it's as if, you know, you're walking through a blueberry patch. Feel free to take some blueberries. Just don't ransack all the berries and take them home and try to sell them at a profit or or anything like that. It's reasonable, right? It's a reasonable, generous law. And it reveals to us the heart of God. 
So the problem here on this Sabbath day, as Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field, it wasn't that they were taking grain. It's the, pro- it's the fact that they were doing it on the Sabbath. Because according to the Pharisees, the, these law-abiding rule keepers, these, these rule police, this constituted working on the day of rest. The Pharisees looked at it and said, you, you, you are harvesting crops on God's holy day. Now, now it takes a, a certain level of, of pettiness to equate picking some kernels of grain with harvesting crops, right? But, but that's the level of pettiness at which some of these Pharisees uh, lived. <laughs> the, the Pharisees, some of them at least, and other religious leaders were, were pretty good at this sort of thing. In, in fact, they would come up with long lists. In fact, they came up with 39 very specific acts that you could not do on the Sabbath. So essentially what they did is they added a detailed, they added detailed regulations to God's law. God's law was already good enough, but they added more to it. And that reveals something about their heart. I think it reveals something about some of our hearts, rule keepers. Some of us rule keepers, we don't just like obeying rules. Sometimes rule keepers, we we, we like to create new rules. (laughs) And we like to police and enforce those rules. And some of those rules may be better than others, but we just like rules. (laughs) So in their defense, the Pharisees, they saw this as a good thing. They said, "We're, we're just trying to help out, okay? It's safer to avoid things like picking grain so that you don't even get close to actually working on the Sabbath. So, so these like petty rules were kind of like fences. They were, they were to help you stay far away from sin. It's like saying, you know, we don't want people to drive 50 miles an hour here on, on Broadway. So we can set the speed limit at 45. That might keep people away from 50. But if we really want to be safe, we don't want people to do 50. Let's set the speed limit at 25. Keep people really far from that speed limit. Keep them really far from doing 50. That's how the the Pharisees approached much of life. Putting these many, many regulations in place to make God's law, in fact, harder to obey. But in doing all of this, all these these rule-keeping Pharisees, they, they lost sight of the spirit of the law. They lost sight of the heart of God behind these laws. They, they had turned the law into something harsh and stringent and, and heartless. Like, like one author put it this way. I like this analogy. He says, he says, the rule keeper can sometimes become like an ill-taught piano student who plays all the right notes but fails to make music. Or the rule keeper can be like an actor, an actor who woodenly recites a memorized script but who does not carry any conviction Or or like a dancer who carefully counts their steps but never cuts loose to dance. Yeah. Yeah, I think that describes some of us rule keepers pretty well. In an effort to be obedient to God and to others in authority, we lose sight of the principle, the the hearts, the spirit behind the rules that we're keeping. And that's what Jesus wants to show them. And that's what he wants to show us, too. Because in verse 25, he says, says, And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and and was hungry? He and those who were with him, 
How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with them. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is referring to an old story that all the Pharisees would have been familiar with. It's a story from 1 Samuel chapter 2, or chapter 21, I should say. And in that story, it tells us that, 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 that David, who was eventually, he was not king of Israel yet. He would become king eventually. But David was fleeing for his life from a king named Saul who's trying to kill him. And so David is, is on the lamb. He's, he's, he and his men, they find themselves at the tabernacle. They're hungry, so they ask the high priest for food. And the high priest gives them food, but the only food he has is bread that's actually holy bread. It's called the bread of presence. These were these, were these 12 loaves of bread that were, would be set out before the Lord each Sabbath in the tabernacle, in the holiest place in the tabernacle. And they were not meant to be eaten until the end of the week when new, fresh loaves would be, would be put there. Then the priests, and only the priests, could eat last week's loaves. So last week's loaves are sitting there. The priest says, this is all I got. He gives it to David. And David eats it. And he gives it also to his companions. And they eat it too. And so Jesus says, look, look, technically... David broke the law here, didn't he? Since only the priests are allowed to eat this, this bread. It's holy. But, but, Jesus is saying, David didn't really break the spirit. He didn't break the purpose of that law. Because according to God, human need, like hunger, it's more important than ritual observances. It's not to say that the ritual was unimportant. It was, but it had its place. It was not more important than feeding hungry people. It was not more important than sustaining the lives of these guys who were fleeing for their lives. You see, in their rule-keeping fixation, these, these religious people had lost sight of the fact that God, the God who gave them his law, is a good God. Much kinder than we are. They had lost sight that the God who gave them this law, like obey the Sabbath to keep it holy, don't work on the Sabbath, they had forgotten that that God loves them, that that God desires their good. He desires their well-being and their flourishing, and his laws were actually designed for their good. His laws are designed to communicate his goodness to us, including the Sabbath. The fourth commandment. Jesus says, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. It's a day of rest. But this day of rest, it was about restoring weary people. It was a gift. God said, don't work on the Sabbath for your own good. It was about giving rest to tired people. It was about protecting people who were vulnerable and we're likely to be overworked by their employers and by their masters. So God doesn't just say, come and say, you have permission to not work on the Sabbath. Because he knows we're not going to obey that. He knows we're going to work anyway. So he comes and says, no, 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 you must not. You cannot work on the Sabbath. 
And thereby, not only to say you cannot work on the Sabbath, but he says that if you have servants, if you have employees, if you have people that live in your household with you, don't make them work either. You see, this, this law was put in place to protect God's people against injustice, against overwork, against the fatigue that comes from working way too hard. It was about maintaining space in people's lives to worship, too. It created space in people's lives so they could step away from work and connect with their creator, God, worship him, enjoy fellowship together. Because God knew that they, like us, are so likely to be distracted by the demands of life, the demands of work. So again, the Sabbath was a gift, and that's what Jesus is saying. The Sabbath was made for humans, a gift. Remember, remember, the Sabbath was just one of ten commandments. We looked at the, I think it was uh, earlier this year, we, we looked closely at all ten commandments, one by one. This is just one of those ten, the fourth one, in fact. The same God who said, remember the Sabbath, don't work on the Sabbath day, also said things like, he said things like, don't, don't murder he said things like, honor your parents, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness against, another, against your neighbor, don't lie. And all these laws, all of them were gifts. But we may not see it that way. We may not see them that way. You see, whether you're a natural-born rule breaker or a rule keeper, all of us are going to see God's law in one of two ways. We're either going to see it as a burden or we're going to see it as a gift. And so the question is, how do you see it? How do you see God's laws? If you see them as burdens, then your perspective is going to change when you begin to, to see the goodness of the God who gave you these laws. You see, when you begin to see his heart, you begin to see how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, when you begin to see that he is for you and not against you, then you will begin to see that his laws are not burdensome. They are not harsh, but they're gifts. For those of you who are skeptical about God's rules, perhaps you find his commands and laws to be restrictive, unnecessary, antiquated, even hateful, your perspective too will change when you truly come to know the God who gives you these laws. You see, when a, when a stranger comes to, if you're about to take a drink from a can and a stranger comes up and says, don't drink that, you're likely to be bothered and say, wait a second, who are you to tell me what to drink and not drink? I'll drink what I want. But when a loved one Someone you trust, perhaps your best friend or, or, or a family member who loves you comes over and says, no, 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 don't drink that. You pause and you think there must be a reason for this. Perhaps this person is trying to protect me. Perhaps this person is trying to help me. I'm willing to listen to them because I know their heart towards me. And so it is with God's laws. We will think very differently of them when we see and know the God behind them. God's laws are always meant for us to promote our flourishing. 
We saw this when we studied the Ten Commandments, that God, each of these commandments, they, they show us our own tendencies. They, they put a mirror up on, uh, to us to, to show us our own sinful tendencies, you know? Why do we need a law that tells us not to work every single day, nonstop? Because we're, that's kind of like what some of us are going to tend to do if no one stops us. Why do we need a law? Why does God need to tell us, don't commit adultery? Because we're, we're, kinda, we're, we're, we're sort of the, the kind of folks who will commit adultery. Why does God have to tell us not to lie? Because he knows our propensity to shade the truth. You see, these laws show us something about ourselves, but they also invite us into a better way to live. A way to live that will lead to our flourishing and our joy. And each of these laws also show us what life will look like in God's kingdom. They show us what a perfect society looks like. And by the way, by the way, everything I'm saying here about God's law, when we see the goodness of God, then we will think differently about his law. That applies to other aspects of life too. For instance, once you begin to see the goodness of God, you'll think differently about the things that he's doing in your life as well, won't you? The suffering, the loss, the pain, the disappointments, the difficult things that you're facing in life, you will start to look at them differently once you get a glimpse of how good God is and how much he loves you. You'll start to understand that pain and that suffering differently when you're convinced that the God who's bringing them into your life actually wants your best. And his purposes for you are eternally good. That doesn't make the pain go away, but it certainly changes our perspective on it, doesn't it? Your life may not have gone according to your plan. You may look at the circumstances you're in now and think, how did I get here? This is not what I planned. But your life has gone according to God's plan. And he is good, and he is trustworthy, and he knows how hard it's been for you, and he loves you deeply. Jesus reminds us that God is good, and his intentions for us are good too. The second thing we see in the scene is not just the goodness of God, but we see the authority of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is a term that Jesus used to refer to himself. It was identifying him as the Messiah, the Savior sent by God. And this is the most controversial part of this whole scene. Because it's one thing Jesus could argue about, like, hey, look, look, they weren't really breaking the law when they took the grain. And the Pharisees might have engaged that, you know, and been like, oh, okay, well, you know, let, let's, let's debate that. Was it really breaking the Sabbath when they took grain or wasn't it? That's, a, that's an acceptable, healthy argument, I suppose. But this, no, 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 what Jesus says here is outright controversial. This is scandalous. This is provocative. He says, by the way, I get to tell you what breaking the Sabbath is and isn't. I get to tell you what's lawful and not lawful on God's holy day because I happen to be God. I am, he says, the Lord of the Sabbath. Remember earlier in Mark, we saw this already, Jesus has shown that he has authority to forgive sins, which means he must be God because only God can ultimately forgive sins. He also showed that he has the authority to um, cleanse uh, 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 impure, unclean people, which is something only God can do. And then eventually, as we go through the rest of Mark, we're going to find in chapter 4 that he, he shows that he has authority over nature. 
Maybe some of you know that story. Jesus speaks to the sea and calms it completely. I just recently, I heard, uh, was, I think it was on, 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 on sports radio, someone made the, made, used the metaphor and said, you know, what, what you're doing here is, is, is pointless. You may as well stand on the seashore and tell the waves to stop rolling. It's pointless. And I said, yeah, that, is, that does sound kind of pointless. But my mind immediately went to Mark 4, and I thought, but Jesus, Jesus could stand on the seashore and command the waves to stop rolling. He has that kind of authority. And then later in Mark, we're going to find that Jesus has the authority even to give life, to bring dead people back to life. But right here, Right here, he's showing us that he has authority to determine what is permissible and what is impermissible on the Sabbath. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Because if he has authority to determine what is lawful and unlawful on the Sabbath, then that means that he also has authority to tell us what is okay and not okay in every area of our life. If he is Lord of the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, then he is Lord over all the commandments. He is Lord of all of God's law. In fact, if he is Lord, then he is the lawgiver himself and judge. He is God. This is the claim Jesus is making. In fact, in fact, that's probably partially why he pointed to that whole story of David. Because if we look back at that story of David, David was hungry, but he wasn't just a hungry guy in the tabernacle. David was uh, the future king of Israel. David was a, 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 an ancestor of the Messiah. David was one of the most important figures in Jewish history. So in part, when Jesus points to David, he's saying, look, look, if, if, if those strict regulations about the holy bread had to be set aside for David, and they could be set aside for David and his guys, how much more should holy regulations be set aside for Jesus and his guys, his companions, since he is Lord, since he is Lord and King over King David? You know, the, the idea of Sabbath, resting one day in seven, doesn't originate when God gives his commandments to his people at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. The idea of Sabbath originates at creation itself. Genesis 1 tells us that God created the world and over a period, and then he rested. And he, he, that day of rest, he made holy. He set apart, and he said, because I rested from my work on this day, also you, my people, rest from work on this day. You see, there's a point here. Sabbath was set at creation by the creator. So when Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming to be the creator. He's claiming absolute authority. It's audacious, isn't it? And you know, Jesus did this sort of thing often. He made these claims. Sometimes he'd make claims like this kind of in passing. You can miss it if you don't look closely enough. In Luke 10, he's talking to his disciples, and just in passing, he says, I saw Lucifer fall from heaven. And you could just read over that and keep going. But wait a second, this guy, what, who? Lucifer? You mean Satan, the fallen angel, Satan? Yeah, I saw that guy fall from heaven, Jesus says. That's an interesting little detail from your experience to just kind of drop. Elsewhere, Jesus is talking to 
to, uh, to religious leaders, and he says, he says, I keep sending you prophets and wise men, and you keep killing them. And you could miss the, the, the power of what he's saying, the importance of what he, he doesn't say, God keeps sending you prophets and wise men, and you keep killing. He said, I, I'm the one that's been sending prophets for the past millennia. I'm the one that keeps sending you wise men to alert you to the truth, and you keep killing my messengers. Jesus, unlike prophets throughout the scriptures, prophets would normally deliver a message from God and say, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says this. Jesus never says that. You know what he says? He says, truly, truly, I say to you. You have read such and such, but truly, truly, I say to you. You see, again and again and again, Jesus shows us he, he, he knows that he is God. He knows he's the creator the lawgiver, the judge of the universe. And by the way, we should find that somewhat provocative too. Like like that demands a response from us, doesn't it? Like some of us might think of Jesus as as a pretty nice guy, but that's not nice guy talk. One can't hear those claims and just say, oh yes, Jesus was a good man and a good teacher. I like him, I like him. You can't just like someone like that. Because either he's a maniac, or he's a con man who's lying, or he is, in fact, Lord. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? And so, as God, Jesus has the authority to tell you and me how to live. And, and remember, he is good. So we can trust him. You can trust him. He's not exacting and petty like the Pharisees imagined God to be. No, no, he's gentle and he's just. He treats us with gentleness and justice. Don't we want to be treated that way? Don't you want people to treat you fairly but also with some compassion and some empathy? That is God. That is him. In this scene, Jesus reveals his goodness and his authority. And lastly, in this scene, he shows us the real deeper meaning of Sabbath rest. The real deeper meaning of Sabbath rest. If you read through the New Testament, you're going to find that all of the Ten Commandments get uh, restated in some way and enforced in the New Testament, with the exception of one, the Fourth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's the only commandment of the ten that never gets restated and reinforced in the New Testament. As we saw this when we were studying the Ten Commandments, that doesn't mean that God's people no longer need a day of rest. We all need rest. We know that. All human beings need margin in their life. We all need a healthy rhythm of work and rest. They're both good for us when they are balanced correctly. And we all need to set aside time consistently to, to, to worship God together like this. So it's not that the, the, the need for rest and, and time of worship has been done away with, no. But, but there's no longer any particular day of the week that God has marked off as holy and said, keep this day holy. In fact, in Colossians 2 and Romans 14, we find out that we can treat all days the same. None of them has to be considered holy. It's odd, no, isn't it? Isn't it odd that these commandments 
nine of them would be repeated and reinforced and clearly, clearly um, still instated in the New Testament, and yet the fourth commandment isn't. Well, the reason for why that happened becomes clear when we read Hebrews 14. Because in Hebrews 14, we find out <laughs> that Jesus is himself our Sabbath rest. Now, if you're anything like me, I find it hard to get my head around that. What does that mean exactly, that Jesus is your Sabbath rest? But let's see if we can unpack it a little bit. What that means is that in him, we can find true rest. That we can find lasting relief. That we can find real peace. Rest and relief and peace from what truly wears us down from what leaves us exhausted. We can find some rest from the demands of others, from our own expectations of ourselves, from from the constant need to prove that we are enough, that we are okay, that we are worthy to be loved. Jesus gives us in himself rest from all that. He says, once you know me, You don't have to tire yourself and work yourself ragged trying to prove that you're enough and that you're worthy to be loved. He says, because I am enough and in me you are enough and in me you are loved. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. If you're working hard and you're burdened and you're exhausted, he says, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest even for your soul. For your soul. A life, a life that's focused on rule keeping is pretty exhausting, isn't it? Whew. Rule keeping is hard work. Frantically trying to make sure that you are doing enough so that you can prove that you are enough is exhausting. It takes so much hard work to constantly recognize what's being expected of you so that you can then try to live up to those expectations. The Pharisees knew this. It was hard work for them to constantly police themselves and to police others to prove that they were good and that they were righteous and that they were deserving. Have you ever felt that kind of exhaustion? Have you ever felt that kind of performance fatigue? Like, I'm just tired of trying to live up to expectations. I'm just tired of trying to be enough. Some of these Pharisees in Jesus' day, not not just them, but many others too, they had taken God's laws to heart, but they had lost lost sight of the heart behind the law. See, they had taken the laws to heart, but they had lost sight of that heart behind the law. And so they were exhausted. Do you get tired too? Do you get tired of proving that you're good enough, that you're a good enough son or a good enough daughter? Do you get tired of trying to show that you deserve that job or you deserve a promotion or you deserve a raise? Just trying to, to prove it so that someone will recognize it and give you that reward. 
It was an exhausting trying to prove that you deserve to get into your first college choice, your first choice school, or, or to even prove that you, that you simply deserve to be liked by that person who for one reason or another seems to keep their affection away from you. Isn't it exhausting just trying to get others to accept you? Yeah, these Pharisees had lost sight of the purpose of the law. So in their mind, obeying the law, rule-keeping became a way for them to get to feel like they were okay with God and that God was okay with them. And perhaps for us, keeping laws, whether it's God's laws or other people's laws or rules, is a way for us to prove that we're okay, okay with ourselves, and keep others okay with us, even God. Jesus said, I've come to give you lasting rest from all of that trying. And he can do that. He can do that because he has the authority, first of all, because he is the one who gave the law in the first place, but also because he kept the law perfectly. And then he died in the place of rule breakers and rule keepers, just like us. You see, even even if you pride yourself on being a law-abiding, rule-keeping sort of person, you, you haven't always succeeded in keeping the rules, have you? You've broken some along the way. You've fallen short. And whether we're willing to admit it or not, we all have a pretty mixed record. And, and deep down, we are all lawbreakers. Even a, even a brief look at the Ten Commandments will show us that. We, as we, we dive into those commandments, you start to think a little bit about dishonesty and infidelity and greed and selfishness. And we start to say, oh, man, I've done quite a bit of rule breaking in my life. Jesus says, I kept the law for you. And then I died for you to pay for your failure to live that life that you were supposed to have lived. And then on that cross, he said, it is finished. The work is done. You know, it's, it's as if Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, enough. We struggle through life, work so hard to prove that we are enough, that we've done enough. Jesus, with his last dying breath, says, it's enough. He is enough. He has done enough. And it's finished. And so now he says, come to me and find rest for your soul. You tired? Are you tired? The Lord of rest can give you some of himself. He can give you rest. And when you see that and you begin to, 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 to receive that rest from him, then you'll begin to see God's law differently. All you natural-born rule keepers out there, you'll be able to relax a bit or a lot. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to stop being such harsh judges of yourself and such a harsh judge of others, the more you begin to, to receive the rest that God has for you in Jesus. You'll be able to admit your failures and enjoy the grace of God's forgiveness and acceptance. And all you natural-born rule breakers out there who are suspicious of rules, who are suspicious of authority, yeah, 
You'll be changed too if you start to see and receive the rest that Jesus has for you. You'll begin to see that God's law isn't harsh and burdensome, but it's good and wise. And you'll desire to obey Jesus, not just because he has authority, but because you love him. And because you see his way as good. And when you fail, as we do, you'll be driven back to him to experience more of his forgiving, restoring grace. You see, what Jesus offers us is so much better than the self-satisfaction and the exhaustion that comes from trying to be enough. He is enough. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, some of us are restlessly trying to be good enough to prove ourselves. Whether it's to college admission boards or it's to our employers or it's to our spouse or to our parents or classmates or whoever, Lord, we're trying to prove ourselves and it's, it's proven too much for us. We are tired. And so we ask that you would let everyone in this room hear your voice that says, aren't you weary? Aren't you burdened? Come here and I will give you rest. Lord, some of us here, some of us are skeptical of your law, skeptical of your words. We suspect that you are out to restrict us and keep us from being ourselves, keep us from joy. Show us your goodness, Lord. Show us that you are for us, that you didn't come to put burdens on our shoulders. You came to take them off. Convince our restless, resisting hearts. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.